0: welcome to the commentary magazine daily podcast today is friday september 17th 2021 i'm john pod hortz the editor of commentary magazine i hope all of you who observed yom kippur had an easy fast and here are our wishes for a sweet peaceful joyous and happy new year uh with me as always executive editor abe greenwald hi abe Uh, Associate Editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. And Senior Writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. Um, It's just a whole hodgepodge of news. uh, And uh, I guess maybe the place to start, because it sort of talks to the general uh, tenor of conservative politics at the moment, is that Representative Gonzalez of Ohio, one of the ten uh, Republicans to vote. I, mean, I can't now catch remember. Him. We either voted for him. He was one of the who voted, voted for, for impeachment conviction. and then he, he voted for conviction and he also voted for a commission, uh, in Ohio has decided uh, to retire. He is not going to run again in 2022 facing a Trump, um, endorsed a candidate whom he says he believes he could beat, although it would be a bruising and crushing primary, but basically that he's had it, he faced death threats, and that the politics of the present moment are so toxic that he can no longer, he no longer feels that uh, his life is best served uh, doing doing what he is doing. So uh, a scalp has been claimed in the January 6th uh, you know, an actual scalp has now been claimed in the January sixth aftermath in the Republican Party. Uh, obviously, the biggest scalp that the uh, Trump people want is um, is Liz Cheney's. Uh, Adam Kitzinger, the uh, congressman from uh, Illinois, uh, it looks like his district is going to be gerrymandered out anyway, so he will probably be gone. So. Uh, the, uh, the enforced Trump's enforcement mechanism and punishment mechanism apparently is holding now, uh, almost nine months after, after, uh, January 6th. And I guess tomorrow we are expecting some kind of a pro January 6th demonstration, Christine, isn't that right in DC?
1: Yes, that's the, the There's been a lot of chatter about that, and they there was a debate about whether or not to reinstall the fencing around the Capitol. Certainly, law enforcement is on much more um, high alert than they were before the January 6th rally, at, because they do seem to have not been quite as prepared. Although some of the signs on the ground here in D.C. are that there might not be quite as many people. Hotels are not reporting that they have a lot of rooms booked. It's you know there there have been some traffic here on the streets. You know people with pro Trump flags and stuff but not a ton so i don't know we'll see
0: um so i i what what what's of interest to me is the change in the tenor and dynamic of what's gone on over the last 9 months that um that uh, there has been this subtle shift away from obviously in the immediate aftermath the 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 general understanding that this was to be viewed with horror that everybody said it was terrible and it was a terrible thing that happened and somehow we have now shifted into a position, particularly among Republicans in which, in which evidently the prosecutions of, or the, uh, the uh, rather remarkable series of arrests and indictments or whatever of hundreds of people involved or caught on camera or whatever on January 6th uh, are now being treated as some sort of um, uh, political retribution. Uh, for simple acts of, you know, free speech and maybe excessive exuberance in the pursuit of the idea that um, that the election was being stolen and that the this is now being criminalized and this is a this is a, a terrible and monstrous act, um, but that uh, we are increasingly moving to a position that uh, seems to be shifting into the mainstream that you are to be viewed out of the mainstream of a Republican and a conservative politics if you uh, believe that. Uh, January 6th was an uh, an evil event and that and that Donald Trump uh, uh, needs to be um, uh, held uh, at least partially responsible for it, if not for the criminality of it, because he did not encourage anybody to do anything except walk down to the Capitol. Uh, certainly, um, the uh, rhetoric around the theft, the idea that the election should be somehow decertified or not certified or the electors not accepted by Mike Pence and all of that. And that that, that view is now uh, deemed for, I think, pretty craven reasons to be blunt. I mean, totally craven reasons uh, to be uh, outside the acceptable boundaries of what it means to be an elected Republican in the United States.
2: I want to dwell on something you said earlier a little bit, <clears throat> and tease it out. You described this as a result of the, quote, Trump enforcement mechanism, unquote. Um, I think that requires a little bit more parsing out because there's two enforcement mechanisms, right? There's the institutional enforcement mechanism. Trump gives a candidate money. Trump endorses a candidate. Trump sees that candidate through to a primary victory. We don't have a lot of evidence of that mechanism working. Um, It wasn't allowed to play out in Ohio in in a special election in Texas, the Trump-backed candidate lost. So we have ambiguous results about that enforcement mechanism. The other enforcement mechanism is one that's organic, entropic, and the one that is the most dispiriting, which is the one that apparently forced Representative Gonzalez to bow out of politics entirely which is atmospheric, uh, the one that uh, is typified by crazy people making your life miserable, making you fear for your family, making you not appreciate, enjoy, and want to participate in electoral politics. Uh, that one succeeded here, but did it neutralize Representative Gonzalez as a political force? I don't think so. As an electoral force, perhaps he's never going to run in another race, but his he, he had a lot of support within the Republican Party institutionally, and his political brand, survives in the absence of a grueling primary that he might have lost. A future Republican administration can pluck him up out of obscurity and put him in a position that's relatively important. So he's not done. And this move actually makes him much more palatable in the future. Um, So I think it's a little fatalistic, unduly so, to say that the Trump enforcement mechanism has, uh, you know, this unabated series of victories when the future is far less certain uh, in that sense. In the near term, this is a true loss for anybody who appreciates competent Republican governance. You shouldn't gloss over that. Um, okay. But I, that as more up. evidence of the fact that this is Donald Trump's party and only Donald Trump's party, I think it's a little bit more ambiguous than that, honestly. Well, I mean, I,
0: I think uh, I, I thank you for that corrective, and I hope you're right.
2: Um, and, and not to say that it's better. To right. clarify, no, it's much I'm more horrifying to the extent that this but, is right. something that's organic and coming from a terrifying, you know, ambiguous sector of the the political ether that's forcing good but politicians. But to say out.
0: right, but to say that Gonzalez is keeping his powder dry for a post-Trump future suggests that there will be a post-Trump future, and that that's where I think that that's the that's the flea. Or the flaw or whatever the hell it is that you have in the ointment i can't even remember the fly um, the fly the fly <laughs> i say flee, flaw, it fly? Is the flea flaw <laughs> the fly in the ointment so abe um
3: I just want to say, I, I think we've been talking about this as uh, all being part of the fallout from January 6th, but isn't it really just a continuation of what started the, the moment Trump won and- And it's far more
2: rewarding to be out the, of politics, the, the to, to start a hedge on, fund. You get a lot more the, money out of it. You're much Trump more happier. On you're, le- you're less like you know, in Romney, the public eye. I mean, for it's for the, the, the attraction there has, has always then. been a problem.
3: And that okay, we might God. be at this point- um, Either way, without the January 6th, of course, um, the reason not that you're that makes any right better is That that, that, that would have been it's worse now in the extent. Let's call that it a be, fair fight because in other words, um, Trump loses. What well, January was, that he was he such loses. a dramatic.
0: He's still the, the most popular now figure have in the party. He even says he loses because um, things were raised against him. But it was the or, media's or fault, not who, the fault of any who the technical effort day. to steal but the it, election. And then these years are a fight between Trumpism and whatever Trumpism isn't. And then he hates Mitt Romney. Then we see what the actual policy populism Can we work, you know, are we a sort of revolutionary force or are we an incremental force, all of that? Uh, That's a real fight and it's a very interesting fight, right? In this case, we have an event that happened encouraged by, if not specifically encouraged by the president, certainly encouraged by his advisors, uh, conversations that were being had, we know, inside the White House, uh, uh, intellectually corrupt uh, uh, law professors devising uh, insane theories that an individual vice president could somehow refuse to accept the results of the election. All of that, and then there it culminates in this storming of the Capitol building, which let's say you think that ultimately it's ineffectual, that the whole thing was going to be ineffectual. There's no way they were going to get their hands on the electoral ballots. And there's no way that anything was going to happen except that they would all be collected and contained. So it was sort of quixotic. you know. It was like uh, the Easter uprising in 1916 in Ireland, which became this highly mythologized event, but in fact, it was just a couple hundred people having a riot who were then shot down, right? Like there are you know, mythologized events, but in fact, it was not, it it wasn't anything and that this is all, you know, this was all uh, nonsense. And so um, that's one thing, like, okay, to say, eh, look, I mean, so these people blew off steam and they they stormed, they broke some windows and they stormed the Capitol. And in fact, one of them even got shot because the uh, officer in question was frightened for his life and frightened for other people's lives, all of that. But that's not what's happened. So the left, or not the left, people like us also people reacted with horror. You can't storm this the seat of government when it is deciding, when it is uh, officially affirming the results of of, of a presidential election, and um, and uh, then it's this unprecedented threat to democracy, which probably is an overstatement, which I think is an overstatement. Um, I, I agree, and then and then it becomes a martyrology on the right, and the martyrology on the right is the issue here. So, what where we have been moving inexorably since January sixth, after the first two weeks of, of January sixth, is the notion that it has become unacceptable to say that every single person who trespassed on on the Congress, you know, in Congress, uh, stormed, climbed through was guilty of criminal trespass deserves to be prosecuted and held accountable. Maybe they shouldn't serve a very long sentence. Maybe they should get a slap on the wrist. That's not really the issue. They committed a criminal act. There were hundreds of them. I thought we were the, you know, the Republicans were the party of law and order. You can't do that and instead a martyrology is being created as we watch as we speak which is the subject of tomorrow's rally but, and but that this, martyrology is playing a role in ballasting the trump enforcement mechanism inside the
1: party but this is where this is where republicans elected republican officials have a choice about whether they're going to go that way or they're going to be actual elected officials who reflect their constituents? Because I think that the the Republicans are in a situation right now that's, although not an equivalent kind of series of events, there's a similar mood in the same way that a lot of us watched cities burn in the wake of George Floyd and all the protests and had a reaction, including lots of Democrats sat there and said, wow, this is a lot of destruction and the people who did this should be held accountable. The martyrology on the left was, no, this is righteous protest. Sometimes you got to burn cities down in order to make a point. And there was a whole justification aided and abetted largely by the mainstream media as well to say, no, there sh- the, the real justice is seeing things burn. It's just property. You have insurance, uh, you know, all, all of that that we've just discussed quite a bit. So on the right now. They are, they are deliberately undermining ha- what I think is the moral high ground that you can stand on as a conservative when you point to that and say, that's wrong. And you point to January 6th and say, that is also wrong. So the Republicans who choose to go the way of Trump rather than to stand their ground and say, you know, it, this is criminal behavior. We do not believe that criminal behavior should be, uh, we believe it should be punished. But too many of them are choosing to believe that their constituents are on Trump's side of this. I'm not sure they are.
0: Okay, I I I would love to agree with you that their constituents are on the side of this, but I have to read a poll taken from August 3rd to September 7th by CNN. And take polls for what you want, but when they when polls show landslide margins, you can pretty much assume that they are reporting something accurately, because even a distortion can't quite close the gap. Did Biden legitimately win enough votes for the presidency? Yes or no. Democrats, 97% say yes, 3% say no. I'd love to meet the 3%. They would be sort of interesting people. Independents, 64% yes, 35% no, which is kind of a surprisingly large number of no's, I think. Republicans, 21% of Republicans told CNN that they believed that Biden legitimately won enough votes for the presidency and 78% said Biden did not legitimately win enough votes for the presidency. So in this poll 78% of Republicans believe that Biden stole the election. So if you are an elected Republican official in one of these one of these districts there's 20% or more Trump whatever, you know. And this is the world we live in now where you have this sort so a sort of uh political uh, ge- geography, where people are living amongst people who agree with them largely, and have these wildly lopsided districts. Uh, you are reflecting your constituents' view when you th- when you say the election was stolen. You are. It's eighty percent of them, according to CNN say that Biden did not legitimately win enough votes to win the presidency. That's that's the country that we are living in now. It's
2: certainly what they want to hear. If there was a candidate so irresponsible in 2004 as to say George Bush wasn't a legitimate candidate, most Democrats would have agreed. If you and most Democrats did agree that Donald Trump was not legitimately elected president in 2016, as a tribal signifier, yes, a lot of people want to say that and some many many probably really do genuinely believe it though they don't act like it. Um, it's pretty plain that this is going to be the central question before Republican primary voters in 2024, and in we know. 2024. Right. And they're going to litigate this issue, and they're going to determine whether or not the political consequences associated with adopting this view seriously, per California's recall election, Larry Elder did indeed adopt this view. Rich Lowry at National Review has a very convincing piece. Larry Elder initially adopted the realistic. Of what happened in 2020, he got some pushback on Twitter and couldn't withstand it, and then made a, you know, made himself a mockery and a polarizing figure. And it was easy to transform the ref- the, the election into a referendum on the events of January 6. And Republicans are going to have to litigate that issue. It will be put before them whether they want to live in the past or live in the future. And if they want to live in the past, they'll probably suffer more electoral consequences as a, which are associated with it. That'll be their choice. But it'll be it'll be a big. The big issue, probably the central issue of the Republican primary race,
0: and what a gift to Democrats because what we have, depending, there depending are more on how
2: that issue let me, lands.
0: Right. Well, you're okay. I'm saying that all the evidence right now, and things change, and all of that, is that it's going to land on the Biden is an illegitimate. Trump won the election in 2020, therefore he should be the nominee in 2024. To win back what he legit, you know, what he was unjustly denied.
2: If all a of the evidence, a- okay, but if a Republican candidate is allowed to be ambiguous about it, the the position they're going to want to strike is eh, we'll never really know. The You're answer, assuming the Republican kind of candidate forward. isn't Trump. Number one, I'm assuming the Republican candidate will. Or the Republican candidate may be Trump. The, the primary race will be between Trump and a lot of other people who aren't Trump.
0: Or there won't be a primary race at all, Noah. Or there'll be a primary race between Trump and Paul McCluskey. In other words, 1972, Richard Nixon had a rival in the Republican primary. His name was Paul McCluskey. He was an anti-war Republican. He got 7% or something like that. Uh, I mean, Trump's control over the primary party may be so total that the notion that there will be a serious contender against him right now what christine is saying is are elected officials going to be you know do the right thing by their lights they are doing the right thing they are they are think of them as marketing executives selling a product the product is themselves as republicans yeah, but, that's, okay. but
1: but the poll could also be an expression of a broader cynicism and malaise, which we know to exist about all of our political institutions, with the with the possible exception of the Supreme Court. I mean, people do not trust that the grown ups in charge know what they're doing, and that's a that's a bipartisan feeling. But right now, I think there are a lot of Republicans who, with again, I I sound like a Pollyannish person, but with the right sort of leadership, that. Feeling and mood that that CNN poll is, is showing us can be captured and redirected to something other than legitimacy of elections if, if done with the right sort of marketing, as you say.
3: But, I mean, I mean, but the thing about John's point about the martyrology here is that yeah, saying that the heroes. election wasn't legitimate is no longer even the extreme position. There used to, there wasn't, there was a pro-Trump "Stop the steal argument at some so point that my, said m- the point that yes, I'm trying to make January is that um, you can uh, you accept
0: theoretically terrible. a leader out of nowhere who will somehow have the secret sauce that Trump channel. That was at institutions that was, and that is gone. Into, uh, now the extreme uh, a, position uh, is uh, a, a uh, the, the the celebratory the understanding actually of right. how how our institutions should be in and bring them back heroes. into and the, the fold the, 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 and sort of the idea that the election
3: was illegitimate. Uh, that's already baked but, into that. Um, that's, who is that? That's not even that's not even the hard edge position.
0: The problem is yes you can write a science fiction novel you know set in the near future where that guy is produced uh out of nowhere um but as i as i as i uh, look at the landscape in the united states in 2021 i don't see that person doesn't mean that person doesn't exist i'm not sure what if i'd surveyed the landscape in 2013 that i would have seen trump as the standard bearer for some kind of a uh, the populism that we saw rising that defeated the Gang of Eight's efforts to find common ground on immigration and and all of that. All I saw was uh, Ted Cruz looking like an idiot for shutting the government down and and, and acting, you know, seeming like a fool. Um, and he seemed like the most logical person to hold aloft that banner and had this, you know, huge and had What appeared to be a huge political defeat, and I think was a huge political defeat, because, of course, if he had somehow succeeded in doing what he was trying to do, which he never could have, but had he, he would have short-circuited Trump. He would have been this person. He would have created a new populist movement, but he didn't have the, you know, he, 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 he tried to do it within the rules of the system. That was the terrible mistake he made was you needed to circumvent the system and come at the system from the outside in order to say the system was corrupt. You can't win your battle to shut down the government and have Obamacare thrown and then say, okay, I'm now the tribune to show that the system is irredeemably corrupt, because you would have proven that the system worked. <laughs> anyway, that that's that's too much uh, logic here. All all I all all I'm saying is that um uh, we we find ourselves uh, in a position in 2021 where uh, we have a Democratic president who is in bad shape, who is in worse shape than we probably would have thought he would have been, certainly as little as three months ago. His numbers are terrible. Every poll that is now coming out shows him in the low 40s. He is next to Trump and Gerald Ford after Gerald Ford, pardon Richard Nixon, the least popular first year president we have ever seen. He is a huge target of opportunity for for Republicans. He's got a terrible vice president uh, who is uh, inept and in bad shape. He's 78 years old and he looks like he's not up to the job. And they are embracing the one idea that we can see could destroy them in 2024, could lead people to say, I'm going to vote for this senile 82-year-old guy because these people are trying to take the country down.
2: Right. But the environment you're describing, unless we don't know anything about the nature of human ambition, will attract a lot of comers. The notion here that a lot of people are going to bow out of this just because Trump looms large doesn't track with what we understand to be the ambition inherent in political figures who perceive themselves to be capable of being president. Of the United you know, States. I
0: thought that I thought that in 1999, honestly, Noah, like in 1999, Bill Clinton survived impeachment, but George Bush was 20 points ahead of Al Gore in the polls, something like that without anybody even knowing who George Bush was. He had this high approval rating. Gore was in trouble. One person ran against Gore. One person. Bill Bradley. Yeah, now not granted, nobody. he was a sitting. <laughs> he wasn't. Was no. a nobody. Was a One big deal. person. You said there are a lot of comers. Name oh, you're me. You're not a comer. talking about a
2: good environment for an incumbent president, or an incumbent or an incumbent presidency, a two term presidency. I know. Only once in at that point, only once in the post war era had that ever okay.
0: happened. Let's go to 1991. Okay, looked like a bad environment for 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 a, for a a comer, right? Looked like a bad environment for a comer. Bush George H.W. Bush had very high high numbers. Mario Cuomo, who seemed to be the sort of person that, if he had gotten in the race, would have won the presidency, refused to get in the race. And we end up with this, uh, you know, weird governor from uh, Arkansas who had, you know, who had screwed his way uh, through the entire state and had this, you know, wife that nobody liked and all of that squeaking his way into his nomination against a against a, a weird governor of California with a political consultant who said, our campaign transcends understanding. And then that guy wins the presidency. That's where comers are. Comers come in when they actually look at the world and say, maybe there is a route here for me through, you know, through uh, Scylla and Charybdis. And right now, every Republican politician that you can look at, every, almost every single one is hewing to the very things that will make it impossible for him to to contest with Trump if Trump runs. Because they are not saying that the one thing that they need to say in order to win the presidency is the thing that they can say, which is, January 6th was terrible. These people are crazy. They can't say it. And if they can't say it, it's not going to be said, is my view. Maybe things will change. Uh, Granted, it's a long time out, but um, pessimism, I think, is the right attitude. Christine Rosen, I'm happy to introduce the fact that Christine Rosen will now read our first spot for the first time. These are our friends at the Tikva Fund, one of the most important uh, intellectual exercises uh, and uh, 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 efforts to create Uh, a space for intellectual conservatism in the United States. Christine, please. Thank you, John.
1: Um, Well, in a world that's sadly more interested in sound bites and slogans than deep engagement with powerful and classically driven ideas, one of the most interesting new educational initiatives around is what John just mentioned, Tikva Online Academy. So I'm really excited. I'm going to be teaching a TICFA course for this academy. It's called Our Lives Online, The Ethics of Social Media, in which I'll be challenging middle schoolers to think seriously about how they use the Internet. It's going to be a lot of fun. And together, I think we'll think about a lot of contemporary issues, um, dangers of information, technology, digital social justice, media and social media addiction uh, and its impact on the lives, particularly of, of the young in this country. Uh, but this course is just one of dozens of exciting classes that are offered this fall through Tikva Online Academy. The Academy features outstanding five-week seminars on important topics in Jewish thought, Zionist history, American politics, and Western civilization. I encourage you all to go look at their website. The the course offerings are really uh, fascinating, wonderful topics for discussion. And all of these Tikva classes are true seminars. They're centered around spirited discussions with master teachers and other exceptional students and it creates an intellectually engaging and meaningful learning environment. So I encourage parents, grandparents, friends to join Tikva Online Academy's community of ideas by going to tikvafundorg slash academy. That's tikvafundorg slash academy and apply today. You can use the promo code COMMENTARY at checkout to save $50 on your child's first course. That's promo code COMMENTARY at checkout. Applications are due at the end of this month, September 30th, so inspire your child to Jewish excellence this fall with Tikva online Academy.
0: Right. Tikva spelled Tikvah spelled T I K V A H. Yes. The word means hope in Hebrew. And that is the thing that I was trying to deny you on the last segment. So well, you brought it back. Why now. This is doubly important because I have teenage kids. Christine has teenage kids. Noah has preteen kids and we need to, we need to have hope that they will, uh, not only live in a world that is, uh, more hospitable to these ideas than it seems at present, but that they can also help advance those ideas in the future. That again is the Tikva fund, T-A-K-V-A-H fund. Um, Noah, uh, Wednesday before we, uh, kicked off, uh, for the, for the, for Yom Kippur, we, um, We spent a lot of time talking about the Bob Woodward, uh, Bob Costa book, uh, uh, Schmierl or Schmelburn or Peril or whatever it's called. Um, And this whole question of Joint Chiefs of Staff Chairman Mark Milley and whether he had uh, created a, um, you know, a a wildly dangerous back channel uh, out of the chain of command and out of all democratic you know, sort of history uh, with the Chinese uh, to to give them a heads up about American a potential American military behavior or or whatever. But you you want to point out that um, in the 48 hours since there's been some emendation of the of the sort of ex, extre, extremity that it appeared we 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 were facing here.
2: Yeah, um, I'm not exactly sure how to really clarify this because it's only gotten more murky. Uh, I remember opening that conversation, saying, trying to be very cautious about that, and saying that we should, you know, the reporting is just reporting, not fact, and we should be careful about what we're reporting and, you know, what that what this means. But at the end of it, I remember talking myself into a froth over it. So I, so I do think that it's worth revisiting to the extent that there's new information. It is that. General Milley did not necessarily go rogue here, take it upon himself. Uh, Acting Defense Secretary, I believe Mark Esper at the time, was also involved in the initiation of this conversation. And to the extent that, you know, uh, uh, dispassionate uh, people in and outside former members of the military and former uh, members of, uh, you know, uh, national security apparatus have weighed in, they said that this is, pretty above board and that it was also necessary uh, in part because they were seeing Chinese activity that unnerved them um, to an extent that it was necessary to reassure our Chinese counterparts um, that it would be uh, un- undue for them to take uh, you know, excessive alarm at this and believe, perceive that there was to be an attack on their assets, which they would have to respond to preemptively. Um, that all makes sense, but it doesn't really change the facts of the story, um, particularly you know, when it comes to the idea here that the intervention of, an, of the military in this decision-making process by a, a state, a state actor, uh, introduces ambiguity uh, into their decision-making process that is an, a variable that is hard to control for. Uh, it's the sort of thing that makes it difficult for Chinese actors to anticipate who's in charge and with what the nature of the predictable relationship is with the United States and whether it's unpredictable and, uh, you know, whether they have back channels and if those back channels are telling them correctly what the principal thinks or whether they're being manipulated, it's just, it's a a variety of variables here that I think are still, you know, inappropriate, but to the extent that general Milley was uh, going rogue, I think that's, that's not supported now. Uh,
0: Here's what's interesting, though. Did Demily want to appear to have gone rogue? We, look, we don't know. As, as somebody said yesterday very cleverly, and I, 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 sadly, I can't remember who, the whole point about Bob Woodward in these books is that he is quoting conversations that he didn't hear, often with sources who weren't themselves there, and then he reports them as though they are fact and uses quotes like, like he had recorded them, and so reading these books you often have the this vertiginous experience of having to remind yourself that things are being recreated that we're not being witnessed and so some of it may be a game of telephone and that things got you know we're at third remove and we're being placed in a room that the person who might have told woodward or costa about it themselves weren't in the room so It is head spinning. This has always been a problem with these books, and it will always be a problem with these books. That said, I think it's pretty clear that Milley was going around Washington claiming to have saved the republic. I mean, in some sense, in his own head, he was engaged in a heroic effort to save the republic from Trump. Now, that's the Rorschach test here. The Rorschach test is does he get a pass because he was trying to save the Republic from Trump, from people who think the Republic needed to be saved from Trump. I was saying on Wednesday that Biden better fire him because even if the 10% of the story was true, he has now arrogated to himself an understanding of his role at the joint chiefs of staff that could be threatening to any president under any circumstances uh, depending on whatever it is that Mark Milley might feel at the time. Biden clearly feels otherwise. He gave a statement on Wednesday supporting Milley and saying he believed that he was a patriot. But, I mean, as I say, I think it seems pretty clear that what Milley thought he was doing wasn't ab- abiding by the chain of command, doing something in order to calm the Chinese down, and yada yada da 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 but was, you know, he had cast himself as Jack Ryan or Gabriel alone from the from Dan Silva's remarkable, wonderful series of books about Israeli intelligence, as the person who was saving the world from a lunatic. And uh, Abe, um, I don't really think, yeah. Well there was him there was him well, talking about you know, structural racism right, Defending
1: wokeness in the military wokeness,
3: yeah. saving the republic from Trump um, right yeah they, those well, people Pelosi, have been celebrating Polo- Millie, I one of the details of the book now, is that he and Pelosi right? had um, this because,
0: conversation uh, in which he uh, said, was you know the guy essentially who issued a you know, letter uh, to the Speaker, military in the wake of uh, January 6th uh, you
3: know, reminding them uh, that i'm uh, i'm i'm there their, on the rampart with to you the constitution, you know so I, that, not to I, that a, which itself is not worth a there was something offense, else he, there was uh, there was another uh disclosure i don't remember a couple months back having to do with millie Aber- but there, there was yet another one having to do with 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 the dangers of trump that i
2: i can't remember but i'll just but that was about right. nuclear weapons. <laughs> that was about a nuclear launch, and I still think that was incredibly irresponsible. Because uh, you know we were talking about this, and there are, it is incumbent on you if you're executing an unlawful order to not execute that unlawful order. You could be prosecuted for it. Sure, right, understand. So I, I think, but the president of the United that- States. Whoever yeah, that is. I think the he was commands, in the business the chain of, succession, of, of Has of, the capacity know, to order uh, a nuclear strike? Throwing his hat will. The anti-Trump ring and you know, the, be, the process by which the, that is executed. has you know, very, very few checks on it. One of, one by of, the joint chiefs of staff. That's very important Trump to maintain. It's very important to communicate to our adversaries. Which I think, by the way, to introduce some you know confusion about that. There are irresponsible.
0: There are there are in the procedure. There are checks. Uh, I happen to know this because uh, one of my uh, few moments of real uh, uh, in life of a very startled thing that I got to experience once. I went into a nuclear silo in Cheyenne, Wyoming, in 1998. I saw the nuclear triad. I was on a very briefly was on a was on the Pentagon was letting people see how the nuclear triad worked uh, in the media. Uh, I also went on a nuclear submarine, and I wrote a little piece about my my experience on nuclear submarine. and uh, as a result of the piece that I wrote and something had happened a couple months later, I can't even remember that was when the that was when the Pentagon suspended these media tours of the triad because they got bad press for it. i w- I wasn't attacking it, but it was like, oh, look, instead of taking care of what's going on in a nuclear submarine, they're showing reporters around a nuclear submarine. So, but I did have this experience of being in a nuclear silo in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and one of the interesting aspects of that is you literally go down 120 feet on a gurney on an elevator that goes down into the room in which two men sit with the keys that will launch the weapon, and the weapon has to be launched by two men turning the keys simultaneously. Otherwise the launch is aborted and it can only be done once. So for example, if one turns the key and the other doesn't, and it's like, oops, I missed it. It can't, the system cannot be reset. And this is called the two man theory. And at each step along the way, it's not that the president cannot give the order. It is that at every step along the way, there are steps at which the president can rescind the order and there is a moment at the very end where someone an individual can block this from happening these are fail there are fail safes built in it's not that there are not fail safes that's why if you there are two movies about this right Failsafe, the fame <laughs> and dr strangelove both of which have to create a circumstance under which the communication with the bomber or the or the silo is interrupted so that the people in the silo cannot get cannot, cannot be pulled back from fire, from firing the weapon. So in some ways, I'm telling this story only because I have A, have this personal experience and I love this story and I love telling it. Uh, and it was an amazing thing. Uh, but also because um, uh, we don't simply say the president presses a button on his desk and a bomb and a bomb flies. It doesn't work that way. It really doesn't. And Milley, by essentially assuring the Chinese that he would intervene in case Trump pushed the button, was himself creating the thought process that Trump at any moment can say, nuke Beijing. And he actually can't. I mean, ultimately, he's the one who makes the decision to nuke Beijing. But he can't just nuke Beijing. Can't just, you know, wake up at three in the morning, say, hate Beijing and press a button and then a bomb blows up Beijing. And M- Millie kind of made it sound like that. Noah, you are squinting at me skeptically.
2: Well, I just don't know how that contradicts anything I said.
1: <laughs> tell well, maybe it
0: doesn't, but I had to tell the story. I had to tell the story because it's such a great story. Uh, it I, is I, a good story. I'm sure that it does because I I instantly thought that it did. But now I can't even remember what you said or what I said.
2: So I think uh, we're we're in agreement insofar as General Milley created ambiguity around a process that didn't need to exist and doesn't really exist and inserted himself into this process in ways that I don't really think are fair honest i don't think that the chairman of the joint chiefs in the event of this spectacular event really kind of a horrifying (laughs) hypothetical that we're even toying with here um has the capacity to to intervene and say you know stop stop this process stop right now and that would constitute a mutiny
0: it is also uh, important to say that the chairman of the joint chiefs of staff is not in the chain of command in the united states he is not in the chain of command he does not have a legal role, policy, or decision-making role here. That is not what he is and does not therefore have the right to open a back channel to Beijing. Okay. Right. 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 So the, in the end, by the way, I, thinking I that Trump might you know use the military this, this or whatever, July, is, it, is it a fireable it offense? Millie I'm sorry. Like said he feared that thinking this or thinking that power. or thinking the other thing or um, worrying about, the, it's so all a question of action. It's all a question of whether, own whether own in Bill his behavior he truth. did things uh, uh, that rose, that rise to the, the level the of, oh my God, get that guy out of there or do something, you know, or investigate him
3: or something like that. And I still think that the Biden people
0: are going to be he's been up to his own uh, if they think that that this does not create a precedent under which a chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff can't decide to make rogue policy on his own um uh this is opening the Overton window as we say and maybe they like that this is what he did when he did it but they might not like it in 2024 if he does something else in relation to Biden Or, by the way, if Biden's successor has a Joint Chief of Staff who decides he's crazy and then decides to start calling around to allies and things and saying, "Uh uh-oh, the president's crazy, you better do something, you know, uh, we don't know what the policy consequences of such behavior is, and that's why it cannot be permitted. Anyway, guys, let me uh, uh, calm down a little bit to talk to you about beautifying and making your work life better what's underneath your office chair chances are you got one of those chief plastic chair mats that's dented and cracked maybe it's even turning that weird yellow brown color let me tell you about a premium alternative you uh, will absolutely love it's a glass chair mat by vitraza vitraza glass chair mats are made of super strong glass protected with a nanotech coating this mat is legitimately beautiful and will take the look of your office to a whole new level you'll love how smoothly and silently your chair glides on it Comfort style durability of Vitraza glass chair mat will completely transform your workspace, and Vitraza glass chair mats come with a lifetime warranty, so it's the last chair mat you will ever need. Take my advice and order online at vitraza.com/commentary. That's v-i-t-r-a-z-z-a.com/commentary. They offer 18 popular glass chair mat sizes, and shipping is free. And here's a special deal for our listeners. Get 10% off any glass chair mat with promo code commentary at vitraza.com slash commentary. Again, save 10% off by using promo code commentary at V-I-T-R-A-Z-Z-A dot com slash commentary. Peggy Noonan has a a typically provocative column today, uh, a very broad column that brings in both the Met Gala and the 9-11 commemorations and Afghanistan and proposes the theory that what we're seeing here is that America has lost the thread, that the country has lost the thread of what makes America, America, that from the unity displayed in the wake of 9-11 to the disunity displayed by the cultural images promulgated at the Metropolitan Museum Gala on Monday night where Men were dressed as women, women were dressed as men. AOC was wearing a a dress among every billionaire in the world that said, tax the rich, and all of that that we had. We have a country that no longer understands or knows what it is, and the elites don't know what it is and don't know and don't care. And the regular people are just trying to muddle through and are are getting no help. Um, I have many problems with this column. Uh, first place, I, 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 it's increasingly getting nauseating the way people are acting as though uh, the the aftermath of nine eleven was somehow kind of like a golden age of the United States that we found a unity that we've never had before. Kamala Harris said we need to get that unity back. Uh, we were uh, in a national state of grief and mourning, and yet, generally speaking, at like a shiva. You know, people are going to be unified in their grief about the deaths of the loved ones and all of that and aren't going to like necess- I mean, maybe I'm wrong because people write novels about this stuff all the time, but, you know, aren't like, going to get into vicious monstrous fights about, you know, first causes and things, you know, just as you're trying to g- get through your grief together. But the notion that you know what we really need is a good three thousand people to die so we can all come together again or something like that. Then she says we we're in Afghanistan and we lost the thread there because after a while it was just like we were there just to be there. We were there because we were there, and we were only thinking that because no leader in this country was making the argument for why we were there and why we were staying there. The argument now that we don't even we barely need to make now that we've seen what's happened now that we're not there but was the argument we could have made which is we're there because we are making sure that Afghanistan does not become a, a stronghold of the Taliban again who were part of the force that attacked us on 9/11 and will seek to t- attack us again and then moving on to the met gala which uh, saying that saying that an increasingly out of touch mandarin class in the popular culture you know is trying is going for um, uh, like shock and provocation because they no longer know how to hold the attention of audiences. They have lost Anna Winter, who runs the Met Gala uh, editor of Vogue, is somebody whose magazine is a shadow of its former self in terms of its power and cultural influence than it was, say, 20 years ago or something like that. That she is, is, is playing these games doesn't mean that they actually reflect anything other than the desperation of the Mandarin Elites in trying to maintain their hold on power. So I have problems with this column, but I think the general idea that the country has lost the thread is an interesting
2: one. Right. The, to your point, then you know, it, it, well, when Barack Obama decided that it was the time to make the case for intervention in Iraq, it was sold. The public was sold on it. Didn't take much. It only took one convincing politician who was interested in making the case for why these deployments are necessary and fruitful when we you engage mean ISIS for, you mean you mean because well, of yeah, ISIS? ISIS and the mission yeah. has since become what it should have been always which is deterring regional adversaries um that's the argument that has been reluctantly made by politicians who are willing to lead we don't have very many of them but when they do it's not hard to make a convincing case um where she's right and i think you're right this probably could have been two separate columns but where she's right and she very perceptively so and one thing that dovetails with what we were talking about earlier uh, with congressman gonzalez is that normal people are hiding the normal normal people don't want to be engaged in in public life it's unrewarding it's unfulfilling there's more downsides than upsides and so they are engaged in private life and trying to you know make sense of uh, of, of a smaller universe i think that's perceptive i think that's true and i don't think it's new but it is pronounced to an extent now that is deleterious to the execution of the social contract.
0: Uh, Christine, I mean, one one, one, uh, interesting observation that Peggy makes is that, um, you know, HR departments are now running corporations because everybody is using the employee handbook to go to war with other people at work. So it's not just public officials who are hiding. Increasingly, individuals simply going along in their private lives find themselves uh, you know in a in a in a new position of being feeling themselves at risk or at threat from kind of you know Salem witch trial accusation
1: well i think this is the part of her column that i did like where she where she gives a nod to the absolutely uh, corrosive effects of identity politics when it has become mainstream, when it has become what every HR department force feeds every employee who, who you know, signs an employment contract. The, just because it's mundane doesn't mean it isn't also corrosive. And so the idea that everything gives offense, you know, we what's interesting is that right at this particular moment, we're getting a lot of interesting scholarly research about how things like trigger warnings and microaggressions aren't real. These are just that there's no evidence that these things are actually, that trigger warnings are helpful or that microaggressions are a problem. And yet it's the language we speak. It's, it's in the mainstream. It's something that you're not really even allowed to challenge. I will say, Americans have always fought about what the threat is. What is the threat? We've been arguing and fighting and and even battling each other physically over what this country means since its inception. It's one of the things that actually makes us powerful, I think, is that that's always up for grabs. Each generation is trying to define that. Where I think she is right is the kind of the world-weary, cynical part about the culture. So you say, you know, we're looking at these mandarins on the, at the Met Gala red carpet and, you know, they, they're they one sign of the culture. But if you think about it, Anna Wintour's um, uh, desperation to have Instagram influencers represent the high uh, high fashion industry is the same desperation that led the Biden administration to get an Instagram influencer to try to sell people on vaccination. Right. It's It's a weird kind of. You know, speaking down—it's very condescending. These aren't the people that those in power follow or listen to, but they assume average Americans are going to listen to this. It's—it's it's a weird kind of thing. And then when one of them goes rogue, like Nikki Minaj, who who you know is now become a, the most popular anti-vaxer, the Biden administration's response to say, "Well, we'll have a nice phone call with her." There's a weird condescension in the way the elites treat the average person, which can also be seen in the response to AOC's "Tax the Rich" dress. There was another model who wore a. a A model from an extremely elite and wealthy family who wore a thing that said peg the patriarchy. I mean, these people are just performing identity politics in kind of late modernity in a way that any sociologist would point at and go, ah, bread and circuses right there. That's what it is. So she's right about that part. But I do think she's wrong to think that this is the first era in which we were we've lost a threat. We're always losing the threat and trying to pick it back up again.
3: I mean I I think things are different now, unfortunately. I mean I, I, I take that that the, the argument the 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 thread is sort of you know we're sort of forever kind of grasping at it. But I, I don't I find the aftermath of nine eleven a very strange place to start the story from. Um, I don't I don't I don't know. I mean, first of all, as John said, we were, we're in mourning, but the truth is Yes because uh, social media didn't exist then there there wasn't the instantaneous uh, internal domestic debates over, but, over, over know, I it, the conspiracy, conspiracy but theories but on. Came actual Media after. outlets, uh, you know, like as, as fast as the, as the footage mostly, of George Bush.
2: Also, being television told about now emerging in 2002, the early World 2002. Trade 2002. Center it really wasn't that long. The that be, no, that it it, just, you know, not everybody who hated him.
3: Immediately said he just sat there for whatever the
0: time was to do anything. He didn't know what to do. Let me give you another example of where. So it wasn't this unity. Described, I forget how she described it, but she said. 9-11 can be used like as a weapon in a very strange way. Or something. Okay, I'm looking it was, yet again it was at the vaccination it, numbers in the United as well. States as we speak. New York Times, as of today, Americans 18 and up, 76% have had at least one dose of the vaccine, 65% are fully vaccinated. The 65% will be in the 76% camp in two to three weeks, 12 and up, by the way, 74% and 64%, meaning this whole line about how uh, there's real vaccine resistance between 12 and 18 clearly is not true. Clearly 12 to 18-year-olds are getting vaccinated because the vaccination rate is not lower among them than it is among people who are 18 and up. Now, unity in the united states 3 quarters of the population that's unity that is unity who in this country is saying that america is unified in its belief and support of the vaccine it would appear that we have a conspiracy of interest on the part of the biden administration which wants to use the actual unity as a we- political weapon in its behalf, to say the Republican Party wants to make you sick and kill you. Because it knows that 75% of the population is already vaccinated. And this bizarre contingent of Republicans who've, who, who range from the idiotic to the deranged want to walk around saying they're trying to kill you with the vaccine because it also helps them raise money and, you know, stimulate, uh, you know, the kind of dissent that they want and all of that. We are as close to unified on, on the need for the vaccine as we have been on any issue in my lifetime, because this is person by person. This is, these are, these are unassailable numbers. This is what is registered with the CD. This isn't survey data. This is what we know has happened. 76% of the country has been vaccinated over the age of 18. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I don't agree. See, we, we've never had a, we, I, I would say I don't agree. I, obviously, counterpositive. counter positive. So I – I getting 76% of the population of the United States to do anything together that isn't automatic, but, so I, I, like having your – I hate to say
3: this, but here, here's where she's right. Tax money withdrawn. If this were – from your paycheck so take, that take the 11th, government that collects question. your but taxes whether the you America want them to or not there,
0: imagine a world in which that there there was no automatic pay, paycheck withdrawal do we really I, I, think okay. that there would be 100 percent compliance with the irs we know there wouldn't i'm just saying i i don't know there's never been a real world test of this where we where this has gone on day by day week by week one, by one month by month i don't know that it would be a hundred percent by now uh it might have been a lot easier for it to be a hundred percent had we not had these two months of deranged fights about who should get the vaccine first i i okay that's also true but i but i still think that getting you know it's 70 it's like i just to use another weird example the entire housing crisis of the 2000s was created by a joint, by a by a general consensus in the idea that it would be a fantastic thing for home ownership in the United States to rise from the 61 percent average that it had been at for 40 years to higher to like 68, 69. But that's part of why it would be right? different. Yeah. So policies changed yeah. constantly how much uh, companies could ask about loan limits, all these kinds of things. And we jacked up, the country jacked up ownership from rental rates from 61% to 68%. Well, guess what? That 7% is what caused the housing crisis because um, people were perfectly contented not to own Because they couldn't or they wouldn't or they shouldn't. And we live in a country in which people get to pick those sorts of things. And we incentivize them like crazy to do this. And the entire world economy broke down. Now, I only bring this up to say that in every category of life in a country that is self-governing with this many people, there are going to be 30 to 40 percent of people who don't want to do what other people do or want to live off the grid or are going to you know put their money under the mattress or are going to you know believe that aliens are controlling their brains or do whatever that's part of the nature of this and we are doing incredibly well given that fact about the united states
2: Right. So you're saying, okay, unity is desirable. Unanimity is neither desirable nor you know feasible. Achievable. Achievable, sure. So where where are we disunited? What is the disunity that is the struggle here? So let's define our terms down. Are we disunited right. in the the purpose towards getting high vaccination rates? That's a very narrow conception of unity. I mean it's an exigent circumstance, sure. So it's really on our minds, but you know, unity of first principles unity around you know a basic no, but I'm sense with of christine. purpose like what 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 define the terms here
0: i'm with christine i don't believe we need unity like that's not what the united states is not about the united states is about the rights of the individual it is not about national unity national unity is not an american is not a classic american goal that's why we have a we have but a we we have generally a are system.
2: united on first principles And there's not a lot of people out there who are full-throatedly advocating for the dissolution of the Constitution, the breakup of the United States, and an alternative theory of social organization around authoritarianism. Nobody's that full-throated an advocate for something that disunifying. So what are we going to do?
1: But okay, the canary the canary in the coal mine for for eras where this kind of uh, discussion is, is uh, comes to the fore is history, right? It's whether you try to establish standards of how to teach history. That happened at the beginning, the first culture war iteration. It's happening now with the with the attempts to literally to rewrite our founding to to reflect all the things that that are bad about the country, not just to, to talk about what we've done that that truly was uh, historically unique and special and good um so i think that the there the one thing that she's right about and the concern that we should all have is when you start to in a country that's this diverse that's always arguing about its own meaning its own position of power what it should do with that power we've done that since the beginning when we start to second guess our own founding and start talking about um uh Talk about that as a net negative for most of the citizens which really is kind of the 1619 project attempts to reshape that way of thinking about the country and when people start to believe it when an entire generation of children is raised to think you know the country you're raised that you're living in the citizenship you have isn't special in fact it's kind of bad and here are all the ways it's bad and here so finding that striking that balance has always been a point of contention for americans particularly in the educational arena we're seeing a real resurgence of that at the same time that we've seen this domination of identity politics that we talked about early. That part does concern me.
0: Okay, look, it, um, by the way, if w- one of the, one of the hallmarks of, uh, um, American liberty is the, uh, protection of people's, uh, uh, you know, uh, economic rights, the pursuit of happiness, as we say in the, in the, uh, you know, in the Declaration of Independence. And, um, so, I think one of the best exemplars of uh, the practical consequences of those ideas uh, you can read about every day in David Bonson's uh, DC Today newsletter. Uh, David runs the Bonson Group, uh, $3 billion under management by coastal financial services firm. And he produces the DC Today to sort of go through what has happened in the markets and uh, with uh, money supply and the Fed and whatever specific policies are going on. Um, and in his weekly newsletter, DividendCafe.com, he sort of goes, takes a 30,000 foot perspective on these matters, uh, always with an eye to the notion that uh, you know, the American experiment is about freedom, is about liberty, and is about um, uh, you know uh, allowing people to be and do their best, so please go to dividendcafe.com and subscribe to these two newsletters uh, from the Bonson Group, the antidote to the intellectual spaghetti of the financial services and management industry. You know, Christine, you mentioned the um, uh, you mentioned the sixteen nineteen project. I noted yesterday that a huge book is coming out in November. Uh, on the 1619 Project, uh, November 16th, 2021, and it's very interesting. Uh, It says, uh, by by Nicole Hannah-Jones, although then it says editor, because of course, uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones seems to have stopped writing now that she has destroyed the country and succeeded in destroying the country. Uh, She no longer has to write. She can just simply uh, have universities have wars over her and troll people on Twitter. the book is called the 1619 project a new origin story okay a new origin story and this strikes me as very important because this gives the game away origin story is not history the origin story is the thing that we say we use to describe the mythological history of a political or civic organization like the origin story of rome is the story of romulus and remus right that is the that is the origin story of rome the origin story of george washington is the chopping down of the cherry tree right that kind of thing origin stories are myths that is the nature of the origin story is that it attempts to tell a deeper truth by being a myth and somehow The 1619 Project, which began as supposedly a historically accurate rendering of the history of the United States, has now itself decided to cast itself as a counter-origin story, a classic thing where kids are playing cowboys and Indians, only the cowboys are bad and the Indians are good, something like that.
1: But it, it's even more—it's even more of a perfect postmodern hat trick than that, because the whole justification for the creation of the 1619 Project was that our actual history is too mythologized. Like we believe that this country's great when it's not. So it really—it starts to become really—it's more like a Möbius strip than a than a hat trick. But the, the 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 irony upon irony of this project, which should I hope the publication of this book brings everybody out, all these scholars and historians who have done very dedicated good work. Criticizing this project for its factual inaccuracies and for its claims that cannot be justified through scholarly evidence and through historical evidence, we should just keep that drumbeat going because this is this stuff is ending up and it's already in kids' schools. It's 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 trying to cast some uh, fear on on you know kind of professors who study and write about history to get them not to speak out. And you know what, Nicole Hannah Jones is a Twitter bully. Nobody who has read her Twitter feed should would think otherwise. And she uses that power and the power of the New York Times to bully people who don't have that power, who are just, you know, maybe even if you're a tenured professor at a small university and you study the American Revolution, are you going to put yourself out there up against that? A lot of people are saying no. So she's a bully.
0: Right. Uh, so let me ask you this. When is the perfect time to plant trees and shrugs? Big box store experts will tell you anytime. Or, um, great question, but the best time to plant is actually fall, which means now is the time to go to fastgrowingtrees.com. Skip the big box stores and head to fastgrowingtrees.com, the world's largest online nursery. No more waiting in lines, messy cars, digging through a lackluster selection. Just go to FastDrawingTrees.com and choose from thousands of varieties of trees, shrubs, and plants expertly curated to thrive in your area. Delivered to your door in one or two days, whether you're looking for shade, privacy, fruit trees, or just added color for your yard. Every plant is shipped with a well-designed root system, ready to explode with new growth come spring. Plus, the 30-day Alive and Thrive Guarantee means your plants will arrive happy, healthy, and ready for planting. Now through November 30th, go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash commentary for 15% off. That's 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com slash commentary. Fastgrowingtrees.com slash commentary. So we got to go. We've gone long. Uh, I hope you all have a wonderful weekend. Enjoy the first weekend of football season, if that's the sort of thing that floats your boat This is really not our thing, but I know it's very exciting for everybody. And someday someone will have to explain fantasy football to me because I have no clue what on earth is going on there. Everybody I know does it and gets all excited. And I am, it's like Pokemon cards to me, which is something else somebody has to explain to me because my 11 year old is obsessed with Pokemon cards and I have no idea what on earth is going on there. So thank you for that. Christine maybe do your kids know about Pokemon cards? I don't know.
1: They've aged out of Pokemon, yeah. Okay. But They're did they
0: cool. under did you
2: did you understand it at the time?
1: Uh, yeah, they explained it to me. I just didn't understand. Yeah. Okay. Well, why are it was your fun. kids there yet?
2: <laughs> sort of <laughs> my youngest is more into Bakugan cards but it's all generally Magic the Gathering, right? It's just... It is. You know, I don't
0: know. I, I don't
2: know. All of which I, oh, I didn't understand that either, and that was my generation.
0: So. Yeah, well, I don't understand any of it, and but the, 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 God love the them. people you know they, actually they do really fantasy really
2: football? It. What? You know people... You, you have, your whole social circle does fantasy All football? my
0: friends do fantasy football. That's... Uh... They all do fantasy foot and fantasy baseball, and apparently the big tragedy this year is that anybody who got Mike Trout was the most excited person on earth because mike trout is the you know greatest player of the last 10 years and he's now out for the season and so having thought that they were in the catbird seat they're apparently now all uh sitting shiva as 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 i uh, mentioned earlier so i'm sorry for the mike trout fantasy baseball team holders we do fantasy I
2: magazine We draft columnists no, we, yeah, we should columnist. have
0: fantasy magazines so we can just see who folds <laughs> over the course of the season or who gets bought for a billion dollars by some. You'd have to allow German. dead
1: writers. For me to participate, a you'd person, have to allow right for now. dead writers in my fantasy right. magazine league. Okay, well, we got to go. This has been far more blather than I expected
0: to end with. So for Noah, Abe, and Christina, I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning. Mm-hmm. <laughs>